This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You are on Saturday Magazine, Joy 94.9. This isn't the last show before Christmas Day because Paul and I are doing a special Christmas magazine, 9am to noon on Christmas Day. Who's our next guest, Nevena? We are very pleased to be joined uh, by Dr. Matteo Bergani. Thank you so much for joining us on Saturday Magazine. Hello, Nevena. Hello, Maka. Thank you for inviting me. Matteo, (laughs) (laughs) this is a really interesting time uh, in Australia and globally, especially in the context of your work. You've just published a new article that measures the potential for hateful behaviours and it's developed and validated something called the Hate Behaviour Scale. Can you please tell us a bit about it and why in this particular moment it's more relevant? than ever. Thank you, Nevena. Yeah, look, the scale uh, it's, uh, tries to measure the relationships between um, non-criminal acts of hate, like, you know, microaggressions or uh, hate speech, which is, doesn't reach the criminal threshold, and more serious uh, incidents like violence or, uh, you know, aggression, so criminal acts motivated by hate. So we see in our study that, um, let's say, some people hate but are not ready to engage in violence. Um, And so these people are a a larger group. And then we have a minority of people who are actually ready to engage in violence, either defensive violence when they perceive that they are attacked or aggressive violence when they want to just you know, obliterate the enemy, what they perceive to be the enemy. So our study allows to study the characteristics of people in each of these groups. When you when you look at that, Matteo, um, I mean, clearly, you know, there's a scale to it. Is if, if I can ask, are you surprised at the at the I don't know, let's call it the, the really bad end of the scale? Are you surprised at how much of that there is? Um, let's say that changes over time. So uh, people can move, uh, let's say, in different groups depending on the situation. So when there are trigger events or events that trigger a perception of threat, in that case, people can become, even people who would not engage in violence, can become violent under certain circumstances. So it's not a fixed uh, situation. So I I am surprised. Uh, Well, yes, let's say if we did a study today, given the current tensions, for example, related to the conflict in the Middle East, we would find more people in the uh, far end of the scale than in other circumstances, potentially. I think interestingly for me in this study is that what um, is found is that lower severity hateful behaviours, and you mentioned microaggressions, people might discard those and say, oh, yeah, but what does that really mean? But the study says that like discrimination, dehumanising online languages, if they're left unchallenged, can over time lead to an acceptance of more severe behaviours such as hate crimes and violent extremism. Could you just speak a bit more about that? 
Absolutely. Thanks, Nemana. This is very contextual, so it depends on the context. As, as I said, for some people, uh, people who are potentially ready to engage in violence, uh, for them, when, when we look at these people, so microaggressions and uh, you know, other non-criminal acts can indicate potentially the risk of violence. But this is what our scale does. It gives a tool for future studies to measure in specific contexts when uh, this happens. So, not, as I said before, not everyone who engages in microaggression mm. will engage in criminal violence. But of course, people who engage in criminal violence do so many times because they perceive that around them, people uh, support what they do. So if they see that in, there is a context in which microaggressions, for example, against a certain group is common and, it, and it's socially accepted, then people who are ready to engage in violence will perceive that they are supported by people around them. So they will be feel more legitimized to act. On a slightly different note, Crikey has been doing an investigation into a protest uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Sydney Opera House. And part of that has been forensic investigations into videos that were circulated online. You contributed uh, to the latest article that is following this investigation. What role did you have to play in that? Um. Look, I was asked to reflect on um, misinformation, how misinformation can potentially lead to hatred and conflict, and how, let's say, we can protect society from misinformation. And I, I was basically suggesting that given the um, technological advancement, you know, the, the uh, uh, use of generative artificial intelligence more widely, it's easier to create pieces of misinformation that are hardly distinguishable from reality. So it's very hard for a member of the public, even the most you know, digital literate member of the public and educated, to distinguish a real video from a fake video today because they are barely undistinguishable. And also it's important that we see more of them. So for example, the current conflict in the Middle East has seen a incredible amount of deep fakes and fake videos, fake audios and so on and fake images. So it's, it's just the nature of the contemporary and potentially future um, environments and conflicts that we will see more and more misinformation and very well done. Last week, we spoke to a professor um, of AI and mm. AI powered disinformation, particularly in this context, and just said, uh, reflecting on what you were commenting on, that the polarization, the misinformation, and just the sophistication of the materials that we're going to be digesting are going to be very, very difficult for us to be able to distinguish. Uh, and one of the solutions that Professor Cooper put forward is developing a better relationship with academia, given the vigorous uh, testing that goes for information. Do you think that's possible, especially in the context of the shrinking newsroom these days, Matteo? That's a great question. Look, if, <laughs> if academia is able to use for example, artificial intelligence and to program artificial intelligence to identify deep fakes, which currently we do not have this technology, potentially yes. But this is not something that people can tackle manually because the amount, the volume of misinformation circulating is just too
too much. So even companies like Meta or Google are really struggling to, you know, regulate misinformation circulating in their platforms because it's simply really hard even, and, and they have a lot of, you know, humans uh, checking and reviewing. They have people flagging misinformation. Like it's really hard to do it with the vo- existing volume that we have now. So potentially, yes, but I think we need also to use to, to, to improve technology and to start using technology like generative artificial intelligence to help us identifying misinformation and, and regulating it. And just lastly, Matteo, another topic of conversation that has come up on our show today is the need for Victoria to strengthen its anti-vilification laws. Now, you research hate and extremism and you run the initiative Tackling Hate. Just how necessary are these laws in Victoria right now? Look, very much. And I think it's important to get the balance right because uh, many times... You know, if, if measures are too restrictive, they can elicit a backlash, which mm. is potentially even worse than doing nothing. So for sure, I think in Victoria, we all know we need to uh, expand, uh, for example, the, the Racial and Religious Tolerance Act to other uh, target groups and communities that are often vilified and attacked, for example, the uh, LGBTIQ plus community, mm. the first one, but of course there are others uh, as well. Um, I also participated and I, I did a submission to the, um, to the inquiry. And, and my point in the submission was that, yes, for sure, we need to expand the, and have broader uh, vilification laws, but we have also to to get the balance right, to avoid a backlash and to avoid them to be used and exploited by far-right supremacists as well, because they do it. They exploit these vilification laws to attack many times, you know, minorities and saying that they are victims of attacks and so on. So we need to be very careful in how we draft them and be ready to, uh, you know, anticipate potential misuses of the, the, the laws. I think when we look at this, that in a way we know that we understand the problem, we understand the motivation, we understand the prevalence, but it's how we actually can dial it back to a more civil society. Do you have a magic answer to that, <laughs> Matteo? Look, it's a, it's a great question. It's, I, I don't have, a, of course, a, a magic bullet here. But, but let me tell you that when I, look, when I think about our politicians, often our politicians want people to become more civil, to be able to talk to each other, you know, even across ideological lines, to be able to talk to people who are different from us. But my, my question to our politicians is, are they doing it? You know, how can our leaders ask, you know, the population to be more civil if they are not able to be yes. civil, if they are not able to, to talk to each other across political parties and to find common solutions? So I think, you know, the responsibility is not just on the population. It should be first on our leaders. And they have to give the example to be able to, you know, not live in a polarized world and to be able to talk to each other across differences. 
Wise words, Dr. Matteo. Thank you so mm. much for your work and for joining us on Saturday Magazine. And from Macca and I, we wish you a very festive season, whatever yes. that looks like for you. You too. Thank you, Maka. Thank you, Nevena. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. You are on Saturday Magazine with Maka and Nevena. We're going to take a quick break and come back and wrap it up. This is Saturday Magazine. If you love your music, then tune into Jukebox Joy with Brian Peel. Supporting local and international acts, shining the spotlight on rainbow artists. Music is life. Jukebox Joy. Where fresh new music meets throwback classics from the vault. Saturdays, 8pm on Joy 94.9. Joy.org.au, not just a radio station. Really quickly, it's been a great year. Next, uh, on Christmas Day, Paul and I are on from 9am till noon for about five or six years now. It seems longer, Paul. I, I think it's seven years. Seven Maka. years. I'm on a, I'm on an eight. I'm doing a, an oh. early shift just so I can play some festive music oh, to cheer right. people up when they wake up in the morning. So you don't have to look at me grimacing across the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure once we slap your face and get your coffee, you'll That's be fine. Right. Um, so 9am till noon, but 8am till noon. Uh, Paul is in here. I'm in here for Christmas Day. We have a lot of quick chats with uh, folk we've spoken to during the year right across the spectrum. So... Um, and it's for not just, you know, because it's that day, a lot of people are on their own or are disengaged from their family and it's important, um, to let them know that, you know, we're thinking of them and they can listen to some radio that is, uh, half interesting. Word for word, David Imber with Lisa Daniel. I want to thank 317, our regular listener, uh, one of our regular listeners who sent us a Christmas card. <laughs> it's a very funny Christmas with, card. With uh, a rather interesting image on the front. Something about a stuffed sock or something, something like about that. Something about, yeah, Santa's sack being full or something like that. <laughs> but uh, also we got one from uh, Lord Mayor Sally Cap with some lovely words. And we've had lots of other, other lovely messages. Just remember, Christmas Day we're here, but also the 30th of December, Paul and I are here. The second hour of that 30th of December show, uh, I've chosen a, 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 a podcast that I'm particularly proud of, and Paul has chosen a couple. Uh, the first hour of that show will be speaking, you know, to normal guests, and the sixth of <laughs> all our guests, all our guests are normal. Oh, the, si- the sixth of January is a reprise show of the most popular podcasts for the year, and I just want to. Thank our listeners and our the people that download. Uh, this year, more than 350,000 podcast episodes have been downloaded. Uh, Saturday Magazine was number one. It was about 30%. So thank you. Um, really appreciate it. It's a, it's a lot of work and a lot of passion that goes into this. Uh, Fiona, Nevena, Paul, James, James, another Paul, um, and Macca. And, and, you know, our co-hosts and our guests. Um, it's not easy putting together two hours of radio every Saturday, but you know what? It's an honour and it's a pleasure because the feedback we get and the issues we get to talk about, you know, are important not just to us but to you. 
we do radio made by us for us. So thank you. Never know. Macca, it's been an absolute pleasure to share the studio many, many Saturdays over. I couldn't think of a better way to wake up than to have the guests, the listeners and all of us all together. So it's been incredible. Thank you all. You know, I picked Nevener up on a Saturday <laughs> and uh, drive in. Uh, and that's always, that's always a really, really nice chat. Uh, and I want to thank our now regular newsreader, Paul. Thank you, Paul. And love the geographic weather, bizarre <laughs> locations you give us. Thanks for giving up some of your Saturday to do the news, Paul. It's important and we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.